Hi, I'm Joe Vraga. Welcome to Unripe, where I talk to experts and women like you and me as we find a place in the world and a community of women who are childless by circumstance or child-free by choice. I'm going to talk about IVF, being single and childless, childless and married, like me, or in a relationship, abortion, losing friends to motherhood, and all the topics that people just don't like to talk about. Who knew how hard it could be to find a group to talk about this stuff? We're a tribe hidden in plain sight. So I'm going to talk about it all. The good, the bad, the freedom, the loneliness, the judgment, and the possibilities when you're a childless woman. Let's make these conversations part of the mainstream. So come on, join me. Hello, welcome back to Unripe. I am Joe Vraka, your host, and today I've got a very interesting episode for you. I am speaking with a man. I know, crazy, right? Let me explain. So when I started this podcast and the Facebook group, I really dismissed the male point of view because I figured men's voices are everywhere. I don't need to include them in this conversation as well. And anyway, men don't have to worry about waning fertility because, you know, they can keep getting women pregnant until the day they die, even if they're 101. No, seriously, I'll tell you about that later. And we see them in the news all the time. I remember, though, saying all of this to Jodie Day, and she said to me point blank, Joe, you are wrong. And let me tell you, I'm a little bit shocked. Firstly, men's voices are largely absent from the childlessness conversation. When was the last time you heard a man talk about his infertility, what it means to not have children when that's something that he really wanted? And the other thing that I was wrong about is that, no, men cannot keep producing offspring forever. The problem is the outliers. They're the ones the media loves to bring up every few years. You know, like Jeff Goldblum, 62, when he's had his first biological child. Mick Jagger welcomed his eighth child at the age of 73. Then you've got George Lucas. He had his first biological child at 69. 69, you guys. Bruce Willis, 57. Alec Baldwin, 55. Richard Gere, 69. Anthony Quinn, and if you're old enough to remember him, he was like a matinee kind of idol from the 50s and the 60s. He fathered his 13th child at 81. But the oldest man was James Smith, who in March 1951 was 101 when he fathered a child. His wife was 38. So with news like this, wouldn't you just assume that it's possible for all men? right? Because in terms of women, we really don't hear about the 100-year-old woman giving birth. I do remember reading something a few years back about an Italian woman who was in her 60s when she gave birth, but that was IVF. I mean, I'm not discounting that, but it was not a natural conception. The average birth for women now is around 31, but there are some outliers who have conceived naturally, like Anne Barlow back in 1865, who was 50. And more recently, we have the actress Bridget Nielsen, who was 54 when she conceived naturally her fifth child. Aracelia Garcia was 54 when she gave birth to triplets. Triplets! She was already the mother of eight children and had 13 grandchildren with two more on the way after the triplets were born. I mean, this shit's crazy, right? But let's talk about other facts. 
the average age for a man when he becomes a dad is between 27 and 30. Now, nearly one in seven couples are infertile, which means that they haven't been able to conceive a child even though they've had frequent unprotected sex for more than a year. In up to half of these couples, male infertility plays a role. Now, Male infertility can be caused by a lot of different things. So it could be low sperm production, abnormal sperm function or blockages, illnesses, injuries, chronic health problems, lifestyle choices, other factors, you know, you name it. Now, it might sound pretty cool having a child at a later stage, but the facts are that the risk of complications increases as the mother's age increases. You know, things like gestational diabetes, hypertension, uh, miscarriage, preeclampsia, all that sort of stuff. The same thing can happen with men. So let's talk about that. We call it the paternal age effect. Yes, that's a thing. It's the statistical relationship between the, the father's age of conception and biological effects on the child. So things like low birth weight, congenital disorders, life expectancy, and psychological outcomes as well. The genetic quality of sperm, as well as its volume and motility, you know, that's when we talk about the swimmers, they all decrease with age for men, leading the population geneticist, James F. Crow, to claim that the greatest mutational health hazard to the human genome is fertile older men. That is so weird. Lots of studies have reported that the advanced paternal age is associated with an increased risk of miscarriage. So when we're looking at women who are in their 40s who have conceived naturally, part of the reason why they quite often miscarry is because of the age of their partner as well. It's suggested that these miscarriages are caused by chromosome abnormalities in the sperm of aging men. So an increased risk of stillbirth has been suggested for pregnancies fathered by men over 45. And paternal age effect may also exist with respect to Down syndrome. But so enough about stats. Let's talk to a real live man who, along with his wife, Vicky, has grappled with infertility and he's written his story in a very moving and honest blog, which is called Married and Childless. Michael talks about his experience and today he's going to enlighten us about a lot of things, including the toxic language around male fertility. Michael blogs over at marriedandchildless.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes and on the website. So let's welcome Michael Hughes. Hey, Michael, tell us how you got here. Thanks for inviting me. Really appreciate it. So it starts born in the UK, emigrated to Australia when I was about 15. Then I met Vicky when I was 16. We've been together ever since. She was of the opinion to start having children early, and that was just the way that her family had functioned, whereas mine was different. And my parents always said, oh, wait, wait, wait. And I said, okay, well, we'll wait. It's about 25, 26, and then we started trying to have children. And we then were told, well, we will need help regardless. So Vicky has polycystic ovaries. Mm. And at the time, they're telling me that my swimmers are slow. So with them, we went through the whole gamut of fertility treatment. So from fertility drugs to artificial insemination, to GIFT, to ZIFT, which are two IVF treatments for those who don't know. I don't know. GIFT is gamut intro 
fertilization treatment. So that's sort of uh, making up the milkshake and putting that in because also Vicky has problems ovulating as well with her polycystic ovaries. Artificial insemination um, speaks for itself, but the next step up from that is actually getting the egg and mixing that together, whacking that in. Sorry to be so crude. Making milkshakes, mixing it all around and whacking it in are all technical terms that you may, well, you may never hear again, but you can't fault the clear visuals. And then, um, then ZIFT is actually zygote intro fertilization treatment. So they actually fertilize the eggs for some time, probably three to five days. Then the good ones are put in, if you are lucky enough to have a lot of them at work. So we did that for quite a number of years. We got to about 38 and we were, we were broken, really. We were just absolutely smashed up. So over a decade of no holidays because you're forever doing treatments and we just realized how absolutely depressed we were. So we went, fuck it, we're going on a holiday. So 12 weeks around the world. Of course, now we're in a good place and we're feeling really good. And Vicky says, let's try one more time. Uh, okay. You know, Vicky's always said that I want to make sure that I give it the best I could. I don't want to live with regret. Vicky became pregnant on her birthday and miscarried on Father's Day. So that time of year for us is pretty shit. And then after that... I was the one that was crying on the lounge going, I can't do this anymore. So we drew a line in the sand. Let's talk about the concept of drawing a line in the sand. For those of us with unexplained infertility or any sort of infertility, actually, we make it sound so cut and dry. Here it is, the line in the sand. On this side of the line is the yearning and the wanting and the trying and fertility treatment and the maybe baby ovulation kits. And on this side of the line is a meadow with deers frolicking in the dappled sun, silver birch trees with leaves a-tinkling. We have lots of money because we didn't have kids, so we're just oh so rich and we're so happy sorry but that's not how lines work it took us a good i would say up until our late 40s to actually sort of really come to terms with that and it's still you know we i think we manage it really well but there are times when management sometimes doesn't cut it we hear a lot about masculinity toxic masculinity in particular. But what we don't hear much about is what society thinks about men who don't have kids. I recently spoke to a bloke in South Africa who doesn't want children, so much so that he opted for permanent sterilization. Now, I know the story is not the same, but the outcome in terms of how other men see him is quite the same. He told me that others saw him as less masculine, particularly in a culture that equates virility to masculinity. And the way you calculate that is through the number of babies you can father. We're not so different here. So you know those stats I went through earlier? You know, how Anthony Quinn, the famous 20th century matinee idol, fathered his 18th child at, at 81. Didn't you just say, wow, that's amazing. See, we put men like that on a pedestal. But what about the men without kids? Michael, as we learn, admits that it's not something he's experienced personally, but there's a good reason for that. But that doesn't make it any easier. When the subject comes around with a group of men, I'm quite open about the fact. And so guys being guys, they just probably go, you know, put the block, the stone wall up and just go, Oof, I'm not going there. I don't want to go there. And and they change the subject. So I don't actually get a lot of chance to talk this way with people, especially men, females differently, because they're always you know very inquisitive and want to understand, you know, the empathy really comes across whereas the guys are sort of i remember a work lunch table talk once and i tried to broach the subject and you could have heard a pin drop 
I'm not a professional uh, therapist or anything like this. So I think the best thing I can do is just lead by example and start the conversation. It's a tough gig, even with men in our community. So I have a group called the Clan of Brothers. I try to make it as blokey and masculine as I possibly could in the name. And we have about oh, 50 guys now. And one of the things that we're very mindful of is that there's not a lot of talk around being infertile or childless, not by choice, because that makes us uncomfortable. So what we do is we talk about us. If I can put it in a bit of an example in a sort of an Aussie way, I'm going to build a shed in my back garden and I ring the mates up and I say, right, building a shed, need help. I'll supply the beer, I'll supply the barbecue, bring your tools over, let's get cracking. Now, from that activity, we will bond. But if I was to ring my mates up and say, come round and sit around the campfire tonight and, and we, we'll talk about, you know, how I'm feeling and, you know, and if you guys are feeling bad too, like I'll be sitting there by myself because they won't turn up for that. We're very mindful that we talk about us and what we're up to, to, to bond. And then, then things come out, you know, so we have men who are, yeah, look, they're infertile and they find it really tough. Um, there are other men that are part of a partnership where they feel like they're missing out. You know, so what is their purpose in life? And there's a lot of anger that sits around this. And it's not so much anger towards people, it's anger towards the situation. You know, and so men find that hard to deal with. You know, we have this emotion welling up inside us and it usually comes out as anger because it's been in there so long. This idea of emotions coming out as anger isn't one that belongs solely to men, obviously. But if you think about the ways that men are brought up, there is a real misstep around teaching them to talk through their sadness and their grief. It's starting, but we're a long way away from any equality between the number of men that seek therapy compared to women. I was talking to a lady from Canada who was doing a project for her work around childlessness. And I said to her, I said, it'd be really good to have your HR department in part of this because guaranteed the childless guy will be one of those that has to front up to the HR department because of his behavior, because he seems too aggressive at work or angry. He's dealing with a situation that he has no control over, that he can't fix. And he's developed in a way that he doesn't talk about what's going on inside. And he will be the one that you will perceive as angry. I know you've had Sarah Roberts on the show. Her husband actually put it really well. He said, we need a place to belong. And that's what we're trying to create. So if what you say is true, that men are wired to be warriors, is it possible that we'll see a time when men do sit around the campfire and talk about their feelings? I think we're on our way to that. You know, we've been wired over, you know, millennia of evolution. So the basic instincts that we have are part of our survival techniques. And that is built on many, many generations, millennia. And I think it will take many more generations for that to happen. So, Okay, Michael, let's talk about the myths. Men can keep producing babies forever, right? Myth. Yeah, that's a myth. As a, as a guy in my 50s, I can tell you that there's a decline in testosterone as, as you age. One of the things that I've had conversations, not with just guys from our community, but others around my age, is that we're finding ourselves more emotional and we, we seem to cry more. Now, 20 years ago, I'd be like, cry. Oh, it's not me. But as I said, we age, testosterone wanes, that bulletproofness, if you will, sort of fades away. And so there's not the, dr there's not the drive there um, like you were in your, your 20s and 30s as well. And men love talking about their feelings. Myth. Try to get guys to talk about that. It's pretty hard. We, it's really hard to find guys who are willing to talk this way. Unfortunately, we, we're almost like our own self-fulfilling prophecy 
we feel if we can't produce children that we're less of a man, then we sort of don't want to talk about that. We want to keep that aside. And so we don't bring the conversation up. We don't want to talk about that because we feel less of a man. That's the crux of it is obviously we're not. You know, we're not less of a man because you just can't produce children. But the way that we are socialized, the expectations on us are such that we should be able to do that. So it's the frustration of having to keep this inside. Because as guys, we have this belief that we can fix anything. We can sort that out. And, you know, a lot of arguments between, you know, husband and wife stem from the fact that I don't need you to tell me how to fix it. I just want you to listen to me. You know, whereas the guy's like, no, no, I can fix this. I can fix this. I know how to do it. Just listen to what I'm telling. And so that is ingrained in us. And so we feel that we can't fix this really hits us hard. When Michael writes about the IVF treatment, there are moments of hilarity, and we'll talk about those later, but also heart-wrenching sadness as he wants to wrap Vicky up in his security blanket. I've heard from other women that they felt abandoned by their partners when they were going through IVF. I'm not going to lie, I felt the same. It's a really long story, one that I'll tell one day. You know, so for men, their job was done once they provided the sample. And while we're falling apart, they play the tough guy, holding it all together. And it sucks. It sucks so hard because you feel like, why isn't he falling apart like me? Doesn't he want this as much as I do? Why isn't he sad? I thought, my job here is to be the rock. I'm the one that she can depend on right now and we'll get through this. What I didn't know at the time was she needed some of that. But what she also needed to feel was that I care and she's not alone. Because as she will say, I did feel like I was on my own because I didn't think you cared. You know, whereas I thought I'm caring by being this rock and someone you can depend on and I'll I'll get us through this. We all grieve in different ways. But it didn't really hit me until I was in my 40s because... To be honest, I always wanted to be a dad. But I, I wondered, how, how could I not have that baby stage first? Because I just saw that as all high maintenance. Because my sister had children and we would see her and her daughter when she was young was a handful. It was like, I'm so glad you can have her back. But it wasn't until those same children started to grow up and I saw these young people, these young adults, you could see they're going to become great parts of our community. It was then that I went, I could have done that. I would have been really good at that. So what's it like to be around families with children at functions or work events? Do men sit around talking about their kids like women do? Oh God, yes. So if you've got a if you've got a group of a group of guys around, that's the first thing I'll talk about is their kids, what the kids are up to. But see, then of course, guys have this thing. Now, I don't know if you've you've ever noticed when blokes are at the pub, as an example, everyone wants to be the alpha male. Everyone wants to be top dog. So it's like the fishing story. Oh, yeah, I caught one that was this big. Well, did you? Oh, I caught one that was this big. And the same is when you get a group of guys together with, with kids. They were just, oh, well, mine's doing this, mine's doing that. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, really? If I'm with some really good friends who know my situation and I give them the benefit of the doubt and I say, look, they have children, they want to talk about their kids, but they know me, you know, and they will, in their way, check in on me. But if I'm at a place where it's just, blatant disregard for, you know, they're just, it's all about me, 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 me with these people. I have this devil and angel sit on the shoulder and I think, okay, what do I do? If anyone asks me, do I do it nicely or do I just shut the conversation down and just get, have a little bit of a little bit of a victory for myself, selfish victory? What do I do? So it all depends on where I am at. 
so you're dealing with all these things and and, and as I said you, as you age your resilience wanes and so there becomes this point where your resilience is waning all these things are trying to manage sort of tip the scale over time there's a particular poignant moment for me uh, I've got a bit of an obsession with family trees I've researched both mine and Vicky's and it all stems from my dad having dementia and and he was very big into it and I thought well I'll take it over and it was a big project for my me and my dad to work on because dad and I were never no, I don't want to say close you know my dad my dad like yeah we love each other but we never had a close friend a bond you know it wasn't like we were mates you know dad worked hard all his life and so we never had the opportunity to bond in the way that you see some fathers and son bond. Of course, I wanted to change that with my children. I have a particular dream that recurs around that. And so th- that was part of it. But the other part was, I think actually is I want something to leave behind. You know, and that is something that's huge in our community in a whole. Yeah, you want to leave a legacy. You want to leave something of you. Of course, it won't be carried on in a bloodline. And I had the occasion to go to Ireland. Now, I'm the fifth or sixth Michael Hughes. So my dad's Michael Hughes. My grandfather's Michael Hughes. My great-grandfather's Michael. great-great-grandfather's Michael Hughes. So that poignant moment for me was when my dad's cousin, Colm, said to me, Michael, come on, get in the car. Where are we going? Just get in the car. I'm taking you somewhere. I love that accent. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and we were, oh, okay, we were like, yes, churchyard. So he said, come on, we get out. He says, you see this here? This is where the first Michael Hughes is buried. But we got a photograph of me standing on the grave with the very first Michael Hughes because I will be the last one. And that's when it hit me. I just went, fuck, that's it. It stops. It stops. And so I think the family tree thing is about that. It's about also me leaving something behind. And there's a lady in Queensland who's part of our community as well who's reached out to me and said exactly the same thing. She said, yeah, look, I don't know what it is, but it's like I've got this obsession. I, I, I want to build this thing that I can leave behind. If you look at all the great stories, and I, I, I did a comparison with Game of Thrones, where you look at Robert Brathian, you know, you know, this big lineage of people, and, and Ned Stark, the same. All the great stories are based on that sort of, you know, lineage. That dream I told you about is that there's my son and I. He's sitting in the backyard with me, and we're sitting there talking. And he's come to me for some guidance, and I'm trying not to be my dad and telling him what to do. I'm trying to trying to give him the skills to make up his own mind and have the courage to, you know, and we're having that conversation. And then Vicky's looking out the window, just, you know, oh, that's my boys. Oh, excuse me, I'm feeling a bit emotional just thinking about it. That's the emotion that comes with me. If, if I can put it in a story, that's the loss and sadness that I feel that, yeah, that won't happen. Let's talk about single childless men and the very pink, bright big spotted elephant in the room. If you're a single childless man, you're either a player, cue George Clooney until he met Amal, or you're creepy, right? I'll just put it out there because this is how a lot of single childless men feel. They get treated like pedos. And that is a real, real feeling and fear of men who are single without children. Because you think about this, right? So if you're known in the community as being single, and today... To deal with the grief that you have, you're going to go down and sit at the park and you're just going to sit there and just maybe, I don't know, feel good about watching families interact and just 
you can get joy from that. And you can sit there and, you know, just feel good for those people and their family. I can see the look on your face, Joe. Right now, you're just... Totally. I have to also challenge my beliefs on this. We've been manipulated by the media into thinking that all men, no, single childless men might be pedophiles. And that's fucking terrible. That is true. But I bet you if you were to ask the parents at that park, what do you think about that guy sitting over there? They will perceive him as, as Robin Hadley puts it, single men are seen as threats. And you can imagine the the anxiety, or the, the depression, the and perhaps even thoughts of what am I doing here that perpetuate, you know, with single men like that. We are about to get very detailed about men giving specimens. So if you're a little squeamish regarding male ejaculation, hospital rooms with cupboards containing porn, and you wonder why Popeye has such large forearms, but you don't really want to know why, maybe skip the next few minutes. For everyone else, right, Michael, I want to talk about your IVF story. Let me read from your blog. I was given a sample jar and a key. The technician then tells me that I'm to go in the room behind me. There's only one key so you can feel secure that once locked, no one will enter, she said. There's scotch in the cupboard and magazines in the drawer. Wash your hands before you start and do not get any other liquid in the sample jar. You got a bottle of scotch? I didn't get a bottle of scotch. (laughs) Okay, this is really funny. Now. Our very, very first time to go and do IVF was in Sydney, actually. We had the egg retrieval, which was bloody. Whew. So this was the time when I could actually sit there and be part of that and watch. I was I was sitting right next to her holding her hand as, yeah, the doctor was down the, the other end, harvesting the eggs. We go back to the, uh, the bed and Vicky's, you know, sort of just coming out of the anaesthetic. Nurse comes up to me. Michael, now it's time to do your turn. You know, and I've, I've had plenty of practice at this, you know. I'm walking down this corridor, and I, I kid you not, I'm nearly touching either side of the corridor. Then I walk up to one of these um, stable door, you know, where you half-half door, the top opens, and you've got a little bench there, and she gives me a container, says, fill that up. Well, all of it. And she goes, here's the key to the room, that room over there. Now, it is directly across from the little stable door. Now, remember, this co- corridor is very, very narrow. So in, in we go. I'm a little bit nervous, you know, the heart rate's up and because there's a lot riding on this. I know it's a funny story, but you've got to now realise the pressure that I'm under. Vicky's had her harrowing egg harvest. She's been on months and months of drugs. Here they are now. We've got eggs. I've got to deliver. Um, I realise I don't do well under pressure. So I'm thinking, Scotch, maybe, no, nah, because I've got to drive home. Fuck, I can't have one of them. What have they got in the drawer here? Oh, who's, who's, who's been touching them? I don't want to look at that. So I sit down. I sit down in the seat, and it squeaks. So then, of course, I've got to stand up. I've got to do this thing. As I said, I'm not doing well under pressure, so things aren't going as well as they should have been. And it's taken a lot longer than I thought it would. Was the reason it took so long? Because the next person rocks up. He's outside with the nurse having a chat while I'm trying to do my business in the room. He's only like three feet away from me behind the door. So I'm thinking, could they hear me? Oh, my God. My arm feels like Popeye. After, I don't know, what felt like a marathon, I'm sweating. I get something in the container and I think, God, is that it? Is that enough? So 
plonk the thing on the on the bench. I walk back up to the the room afterwards, and the nurse is sitting there with Vicky, and they both are in hysterics when they see me. Yeah, because it looks like I've just been dragged through a hedge backwards. Oh, no. Everything's all over the place. And they just laughed and laughed and laughed. And I'm just thinking, oh, my God, I hope I've got it. I hope it's okay. Michael, one of the themes that I touch on in every episode is that regardless of what women choose or what they dealt, they'll be okay. What do you want young men to know? What I would like to see is that in schools, as an example, it should be taught that it's not a guarantee, you, regardless of it's boys or girls, that you will have children. Michael, we like to talk about our plan B. I believe that Jodie Day coined the phrase with reference to childlessness. Are you and Vicky now living your plan B? Yes, I would say yes. So one of the things that has become very important to us is we've been looking after my parents. It's really brought to the fore the challenges of childless people when they age. And so we're now thinking, okay, what does that mean for us? Now, we're hoping to travel. We, we have the attitude that we're going to die poor. One of the other things is about making sure that we're engaged in life because it's important that you know, we don't end up isolated and alone. One of the things that I've seen my parents do over their time is they focus on us as the kids and they were never very social. Now, that is a huge for our community because a lot of people build up this wall around themselves to, to protect and cope and they don't let people in easily. So they have a very, very small, if non-existent social life. Now, that may be okay when you're fully functioning and everything's working right, but as you age, that's vital to survive. So our plan B is to try and build our social our social networks. Michael, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. I have learned so much. It's been a joy. Thank you. No, it's been a been a pleasure. Well, what an education. There I was thinking that my days of learning things from men were over. <laughs> You know, I've been married for decades, so I learn from Jeff every day. But this topic is not something that Jeff and I talk about much anymore. If you have a male partner or you're a man or you know a man who may have been suffering quietly about childlessness and you'd like to suggest that they join Michael's closed group, Clan of Brothers, I'll leave a link to it in the episode notes as well as on the website. Michael is also one third of the Full Stop podcast where he joins two other women who talk about childlessness. The more voices there are in our community, the better. So today, shit that comes up on my feed. Oh, this week, friend of the podcast, Stephanie Phillips from World Childless Week, cross-posted a meme that seems to be doing the rounds. It's a scene from the Pixar film Up with two old people embracing. The text in the meme says, the most romantic love story isn't Romeo and Juliet who died together, but grandpa and grandma who grew old together. And then they use the very couple who is childless in the film. They literally called them grandma and grandpa and their very pivotal storyline is that they can't have children. Oh, come on. We hear a lot of terms such as hashtag as a mother or hashtag not all men. Here's my advice. We know. What I'm learning after around six months of working on this podcast is that when we listen to stories that are like our own, we learn a bit. We see ourselves in other people's stories and that is powerful 
because when your story isn't in the mainstream, it's hard to know if you're normal. Seeing other people like you in the media and hearing from them is really, really important. But listening to others just like you all the time leads to confirmation bias. You hear it in the news. If you only ever watch, I don't know, Fox News or Sky News, then you'll only ever consider voting for Trump or, I don't know, Tony Abbott. But if you watch Fox and CNN and ABC and SBS, if you read The Age and The Australian and Slate and NPR and, I don't know, some someone conservative, only then will you see and hear the other. And that's how empathy is created. As I said, when I started the podcast, I was adamant that nobody under 40 and certainly no men would ever be on the show because I'd have nothing to learn from them. But I've learned so much from this diversity. I hope you've picked up some intel today from Michael. And maybe one day you'll ask a childless brother if they're okay and if they want to talk about it. It's been great today. Thanks so much for joining me, Michael. Thanks for coming back every episode. I really appreciate all of your support. Have a great one. I'd love you to join the community on Facebook and Instagram, which is at Unripe Community. And if you're childless or child-free, you're welcome to join the private group, which you'll find a link to on the Facebook page. If you want to share a story or let me know what topics you'd like to hear more about, please drop me an email at hellounripe at gmail.com. And don't forget, if you enjoyed the show, leave a review on your favorite podcast app, including iTunes and Spotify, so other people can find it. The website is where you'll find a little bit more about me, plus all the show notes. Go to unripecommunity.com.au. 